1: And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Tuesday. That's technically speaking Tuesday, where we'll get into a little bit about the markets and what's going on around the world, of course. Uh, A few things of note this morning, though, of course, is that we are now in the new month of May. It is May the 4th. Uh, It is also Star Wars Day, right? So uh, May the 4th be with you. I know it's kind of hokey, but there you go. If you're a big Star Wars fan...
0: It's just like space nerd nirvana.
1: I know, right? It, it's even interesting because now there's like on TikTok and some of these other channels. I mean, there's whole groups of people that dress up as Jedi's and do sword fights with each other <laughs> with toy lightsabers. So, you know, George Lucas, you know, long after he's gone. Yeah he may you know, have been onto something he, he's on something for sure <laughs> um anyway so a couple things going on this morning uh of course you know big news headlines in the, in the financial world is that bill and melinda gates are announcing their divorce <gasps> yes after 27 years of marriage he met her at microsoft uh she was working on encarta uh which way back when oh, that was yeah. the online encyclopedia yeah right most people don't even remember what that is anymore <laughs> So, yeah, he met her there and he actually worked out on a blackboard whether or not he should ask her out. Took him took him several months to work through the the math to ask her out. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, so they eventually got married, raised three kids. And Mm -hmm. now that they've got a multi, you know, the they have the most. Flush foundation of the world, fifty-one billion dollars in assets in the Melinda and Bill Gates uh, Foundation. It's, it's one of the richest foundations in the world. Anyway, they decided to get divorced, mm-hmm. and that's and that's kind of a you know an interesting thing because remember, just not too long ago, it was just last year that. Um, Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Bezos got divorced, yeah. um, and both of these both of these couples are part of the Giving Pledge. Yes. Now, the Giving Pledge, if you're not aware of this, this is where actually started by Bill Gates with Warren Buffett, and this was an a, 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 pl- a giving pledge that says that when you pass away, you will give more than half your wealth to charity. Now, kids aren't really happy about this, but (laughs) but, you know, when you've got 50, 60 billion dollars, I mean, come on, you're still leaving 30 billion to your kids. I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, I don't think they're going to have much to worry about. Be fine. Uh, Mackenzie Bezos, you know, she walked away, I think with somewhere around 57 billion. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that number, but it was up there. I think it was over 50 billion that she walked away with Amazon. She gave a lot of that away to charity. She's part of the giving pledge too. So um, Melinda don't worry uh for all you for all for all of you out there that might be worried melinda will be just fine <laughs> she will be just fine financially smelling like a rose exactly anyway but now they're going to continue to work together on the foundation so but it's interesting i mean we've seen some very high profile you know these are the richest people in the world i mean bill gates melinda gates jeff bezos warren buffett uh, well warren buffett
0: well i'm kind of shocked at the gates yeah i mean could they not get a reboot i've just saying,
1: uh, there's there's a joke in there somewhere about their marriage and Windows software crashing. I mean, I don't know where
0: it is, but there's, there's a kernel of truth there somewhere.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, uh, that's kind of the, that's that's kind of all the headline news this morning. Uh, <laughs> and thank goodness. And thank goodness. That's it, right? Um, but anyway, so as we get into the month of May now, uh, again, as we've talked about here over the last few days, the month of May starts the seasonally weak period of the year. Now. Immediately yesterday, there were articles out saying, well, yeah, if you sold in May and then came back in June, it you know, didn't really work out that well. That's not sell in May. <laughs> sell in may means that you sell in may and you don't come back until october uh so historically speaking going back and again look and this is always something you've got to take with a gra- you know a bit of a grain of salt but what it says is is that if you go back to 1800 uh, and 50 right and you run the numbers going forward if you had sold in may and bought back in october your performance while still positive was less than what you had investing in October through, through April. And what's the differential? Basically, all of the gains of the stock market, the vast majority of them, came during those six months of the year, the October through May uh, period of the year. A very small percentage of the gains actually came from the summer months. So the point of selling may and go away is not to literally sell everything and come back in October. That's that's not really what the sell in may go away means. What it says is is that during the summer months, you're gonna have likely a pickup in volatility, people go on vacation, traders are out, the entire, uh, the entire country of, of, I mean, the entire, all the European countries shut down in August for vacation, Uh, they have an entire month of vacation, so traders are out, activity slows down, you know, that's just what happens during the summer months, and so typically what you have is that's where you have more sloppy trading, a pickup in volatility, less gains overall, and that's just what has happened historically. does that mean that every may is is a sloppy may no or summer no there's been some summers we've had some stellar returns but it's not always the case it's it's more of an idea of saying look if i'm moving into the week or six months of the year maybe i need to be a little bit more cautious with my investment strategy right take a little bit less risk have a little bit more cash on hand am i going to miss a whole lot historically speaking the answer is no you're not gonna miss a whole lot. So even if you're on the wrong side and and we do have a big run this year, doesn't mean you're sitting all in cash. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that individuals make um, really about investing. Um, You know, people talk about market timing, right? Market timing sucks. You You can't market time the markets. Yeah, you can't, right? You can't be all in or all out of the market and try to swing trade the market over time. Odds are you're going to lose eventually because you're going to make one of the trades wrong. And it's going to have a big devastating effect um that's just market timing but nobody's talking about market timing what people are talking about is managing risk right just increasing a little bit of cash being a little bit less risky in markets during periods of time where historically there has been an elevated level of risk in markets and that's potentially the case where we are now we're at a period where markets are extremely deviated from long-term means in fact if we take a look i've got a uh, Uh, chart coming out next week. If you take a look at the markets going back to 1900, we are currently trading at three standard deviations above the three year moving average. That is the greatest deviation in that market ever on record it is a record level relative strength indexes are near peaks um the valuations are at the second highest level on record i mean there are just uh you know you know numerous signs that the markets are very extended and not surprising after the run that we've had here over the last really you know the last couple of years in particular the market has had a tremendous run here that is, has really pushed markets to, to very big extensions from long-term moving averages. Again, that's not a bad thing. It just means that we've likely ingrained into markets a lot of the current advance. So moving into this summer, it suggests that there's probably limited upside at this point in markets as the economy begins to peak, we've pulled forward a lot of consumption. And when we come back from the break, we're gonna talk about the impact of what's happening with pulling forward sales and pulling forward revenue because of stimulus, and what that means potentially for earnings and corporate profits once we move into next year. So these are just some things to think about. We'll talk some more about this. We'll come back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Our latest article is out on the website now. I published rules of investing from time to time. Today, new new list of rules, 50, 50 investing rules from Doug Cass. It's on the website now. Be right back after the break.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Didn't get enough last Lunch and Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch and Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon, we'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch and Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at Real Investment advice.com no masks required the real investment show
1: and welcome back to the show this morning of course it is uh the fourth of uh may <laughs> star wars day <laughs> i'm a huge star wars fan by the way i grew up with uh seeing the original star wars in a very small theater back in the day as my dad used to say right when i was growing up you could go to the theater for a nickel (laughs) i've now become my father (laughs) so haven't we all um Anyway, so a couple of things uh, that, you know, we got to talk about, you know, coming up here over the course of the next uh, few weeks. It's going to be more and more talk about this idea of the Joe Biden's plan to do infrastructure, spending, etc. There are now more than just Joe Manchin, uh, the Democrat, showing up, discussing, saying, hey, mm, not really on board with another four trillion in spending. And this is this has always been a real concern here because there are moderate Democrats that are aware of the impact of debts and deficits and what it what happens. And they do have to go home and face their constituents. And as we talked about here on the show before, you know, a lot of people, probably a vast majority of people are really not radical right or radical left. You know, this is kind of this theme that's been put forward by the major kind of the major mainstream media to to really divide the country in assuming that everybody is either you know super republican or super democrat right it's it's and that's not really the case the majority of people that i know um and the majority of people probably that you know are slightly right of uh, of center or slightly left of center in fact most people have some tendencies in both directions um, I've got I've got friends that are devout Democrats that are fiscally conservative, right? And that's, you know, and I've, I've also got fiscally conservative Republican friends that are, pro, you know, pro-choice. So, you know, depending on where people came from and what their beliefs are, a lot of people have beliefs that tend to kind of stand on both sides of the fence in a lot of cases. And when you start talking about, more deficits, more debts. That's something that rings in with people. They get it, right? You know, people that run their households, they understand the consequences of debt. And and they extrapolate that, even though you can make the arguments like, well, the government's not a household. OK, fair enough. But people understand the impact of debt long term. And yes, there's a small group of vocal Americans right now that you know want more socialistic tendencies. They want more spending from government. They want these things, right? You know, it, it, it just give me more. There is a group of people that do want that, and there's but there's a larger group of people that really understand the impact of that. And the and some of these Democrats have to go home to states that are not devoutly blue. They're a little bit more purple. And so they've got to deal with that. And so now more and more kind of dissensions coming up to where Joe Biden's going to have to potentially negotiate any type of infrastructure bill, et cetera, because it won't go through the reconciliation process. And as we've talked about before, that's the process where they can uh, can make it part of the budget. And if they can make it part of the budget, it only requires a – majority vote. So if they could get all fifty Democrats plus Kamala Harris to vote for it, they could pass it under reconciliation. But because of the opposition that's now starting to brew, it looks like a first of all, it won't go through the reconciliation process. It'll have to go through the normal vote, which requires sixty percent of senators to vote, which now requires Republicans to be on board, which means that any type of spending bill that Joe Biden wants to do at this point is going to be reduced in size. Then there also becomes the consequence of how to pay for it, right? And of course, Republicans are against any type of, of tax hikes, et cetera. And that certainly kind of bodes to the point. I thought this clip from Joe Biden yesterday was interesting because he's talking about taxation on those making more than $400,000 a year.
0: Biden's going to raise your taxes. Anybody making less than $400,000 a year will not pay a single penny in taxes. And we will not increase the deficit either, unlike the last gigantic tax cut, which increased the deficit by $2 trillion. It's
1: about balancing the system and growing the economy. So here's the problem with that is that, first of all, we've been running a massive deficit ever since Obama took office and we began the bailouts of the financial system and we can look back and say, okay, that was required. We had to do it, right? So we ran a trillion-dollar deficit. And... You know, that deficit has remained. And look, it doesn't matter whether it's the last administration, which doubled the amount of debt that we had and increased our deficit. The administration before the Obama administration, which doubled the amount of debt and increased our deficit. The the administration before that, which increased our debt. And look, this goes all the way back, right, in history. Ever since 1980, we had virtually no deficit in 1980. And ever since Ronald Reagan came in and said, hey, we need to do some deficit spending to get the economy back on its feet after double back-to-back recessions that we had back in the late 60s and early 70s. We had recession after recession, spiking interest rates, spiking inflation. Ronald Reagan came in, applied Keynesian economics to this, which says that during a recessionary period, you do some deficit spending, get the economy back on track, and then you're supposed to go back to a surplus. problem was is that after Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden have decided that deficit spending is a lot more fun than— <laughs> Than actually being on a budget, right? And so we have we haven't even had a budget since two thousand and eight. So again, when we come back and look at how we're running our government, you know, being fiscally responsible is something that's been thrown out the window at this point. But here's the interesting thing uh, about his comments, right? Talking about taxes, George George Bush (laughs) Senior made the classic blunder. Read my lips, no new taxes. And of course, new taxes came. When you say that nobody under $400,000 will pay a single penny more in taxes, hang on to your wallet because it's guaranteed that those under $400,000 will not only be paying a little bit more in taxes, will be paying a lot more in taxes. Everything trickles down no matter how you do this. And the impact, it'll either be through higher taxes or higher costs because those costs from higher taxes on the wealthy will get passed down through the system. Tax increases always impact the poor the most because of increased cost of living. Um, You know, this is and this is something we were talking about yesterday in our article on the $15 hour minimum wage is that, you know, increasing minimum wage sounds great until you realize it hurts the poor the most. You know. Somebody in the top 10% of the economy spends right now somewhere around 5% of their income on food. The bottom 20% of the economy spends 42% on food. Do they eat more? No. It's a function of income. If I have a lot of income, my food consumption makes up very little bit of my total income. But when I have very little income, my food costs eat up a huge portion of that. So... When costs go up, it impacts those that make the least the most. So the very group you're trying to help by raising taxes and doing bailouts and providing childcare and all these type of things, those are the people you actually wind up hurting the most because you increase the cost of living. So whatever you give them, dollar wise, gets eaten up by inflation. So they so yes, for the moment. I can give a poor person $20,000 that makes $20,000 a year. I can, I can double them. I can give them $20,000 and they are no longer in poverty until next year when the cost of living goes up for them to $40,000. And now they're right back where they were poverty wise, because that's what happens with inflation. And inflation's coming. No matter how you look at it right now, inflation is as is, 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 is quickly on its way. So. You know, as you said yesterday, um, you know, whenever the government says that you're not going to wind up paying more, that this isn't going to happen to you, you can almost be assured that that's exactly what's going to happen to you because that's just the way economics work. And this is the detachment between what happens in the ivory tower of Washington, D.C. and the rest of the world. It sounds easy on paper. Oh, we're just going to take some more from these people and we're going to give some more to these people and it'll be fine. What they don't calculate is, is that when I take from these people and I give it to these people, everything changes in the middle. And this is and this is the long-term problem. This is just basic economics and how it works. Uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about the $15 hour minimum wage, and of course, you know, got a lot of you always get people pushing back. Well, you know, my daughter makes $15 an hour, and she still has a job, That's it's great. Um, I got sent a clip of of a of a lady. She uh, it was a congresswoman that was talking to Jamie Dimon during a congressional hearing, and she went through a whole whiteboard that she had with her. Because Jamie Diamond had posted a job for $16.50 an hour, right? So she went online and she found a job at J.P. Morgan for $16.50 an hour. Now, this is her standard now for all the jobs at J.P. Morgan. She goes, well, Jamie Diamond, it's terrible that you only pay $16.50 for this job. And Jamie Diamond's like, okay, why? It's well above minimum wage. Because a girl that lives in Irvine, California, and she goes through the math and shows how somebody living in Irvine, California can barely exist on $16.50 an hour in Irvine, California. Well, the minimum wage in California is $14 an hour. And we come back from the break, I'll tell you the difference between the minimum wage in California and the minimum wage in Kentucky. We'll talk about the impacts of that and the fallacy behind why trying to help people doesn't always work out that way. We'll be right back.
0: Anyplace, anytime at realinvestmentadvice.com. Didn't get enough last Lunch and Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch and Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon, we'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch and Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. No masks required. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show. It's morning 633. So just for the break, we were talking just a little bit about uh, Joe Biden saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to increase taxes on those below 400000 Of course, it never really works out that way. You know, costs get passed down. We'd written an article yesterday talking about $15-hour minimum wage, which is another kind of the mandate of this package. And, and again, you know, I want to be really clear about something here is that, I've, A, first of all, I'm not against people getting paid more. Um, that's great. You know, and, and again, just a very small percentage of the overall working population, one point nine million Americans, actually make minimum wage. Majority of those individuals between the ages of sixteen and twenty-five, right? Starter positions, which is what you would expect. These are not meant to be, and this is and this is the, the you know, kind of this media narrative of the left, which is that, well, it's gotta be a living wage. No. Minimum wage jobs are not supposed to be careers. If you're in a minimum wage job as a career, it's not the job that's the problem. It's the you that's the problem. Right. And so we need to start thinking about how we can improve ourselves to get out of a minimum wage job and move ourselves up. Right. Um, That's the point of minimum wage. It's, It's to establish a base level for somebody to start at. Now, other countries in the world don't have minimum wages, right? And this is why we have outsourced jobs to other countries for decades now, because as we increase that cost of minimum wage, U.S. manufacturers and producers say, mm, you know, by the time I pay wages, healthcare care costs, benefits, blah, 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 I've got to embed those costs somewhere. And if I can't increase the cost of my product, to compensate for that higher wage, I've got to outsource to somewhere else, which is why we've been outsourcing jobs to both technology as well as to the lowest wage cost producer of other countries for several decades now. So it's not always apparent that we're doing this, right? This it's it's the slow transition of economics that occurs. And so you know, one of, the, one of the mistakes that people make is they, they take isolated examples. There was a company in Seattle. The CEO said, I'm going to hike everybody to $20 an hour uh, minimum, and I'm going to reduce my salary. And nothing happened to his company. It was great. Everybody was happy. It's a very isolated case. Um, my partners and I, we could do that with our business. We could hike everybody up to making more money, and it would have no impact economically because, A, we're a very small company. And, B, we don't don't manufacture anything. We provide a service. So either we have to charge our customers more or we just have less profit. But it's not going to impact the overall economy because it's a very small, isolated case. So it's the mistake that people make is trying to take these isolated one-offs and saying, okay, somebody tried it over here and it didn't impact the world, Right. That's not the case. It's when you do a sweeping change, a mandated change across the entire economy, that the economic impact becomes much more apparent. As an example, I said this I said this just for the break. The difference between Kentucky and California. The minimum wage in Kentucky is seven twenty five an hour. Just using, and again, we talked about food costs because food costs make up a big chunk of people's daily spending habits. Food costs, gasoline, et cetera. You know, the things we strip out of inflation are things to spend money on every day. I mean, your house payment's fixed. If you have a mortgage, your mortgage doesn't change from week to week or month to month. It's the same payment. Um, you know, if you're, you know, your car note it's fixed. Once you buy the car, your car note's fixed every month. It doesn't change from one week to one month. So as long as you're living in your budget and you've got your budget structured accordingly, then these things don't have a big impact on your income. Things that do have an impact on the amount of income that you have are things like food, energy, transportation, taxes, blah, 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 blah. Right. So, you know, Uber cars, if you're taking Ubers, whatever, those costs vary based on the economy and have a direct impact on your lifestyle and what's going on and whether or not you're breaking even at the end of the month or not. So, 725 in Kentucky is minimum wage, a gallon of milk is $1.89, loaf of bread is $1.71, dozen eggs $1.73. California, the minimum wage is double that of Kentucky. $14 an hour gallon of milk in California is 3.80, loaf of bread is 3.34, dozen of eggs is 3.45, almost exactly double the cost of the same food items in Kentucky. Now, does it cost more to produce milk in California than it does in Kentucky? In fact, I would argue to say that probably the milk in California and the milk in Kentucky come from the same source. Loaf of bread comes from probably the same source. Right? Dozen of eggs, same chicken. It's a very healthy chicken. (laughs) 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 Very prolific chicken. (laughs) That chicken's working overtime. That chicken deserves more than minimum wage. That's what I... (laughs) 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 The point is, is that the difference between California and Kentucky is those higher costs are embedded in the food costs that people pay. Because it's got to be made up somewhere. And so this is the impact of making these sweeping changes. Yes, as a company, Costco raised minimum wages. Walmart, as a good example, raised minimum wages. Then they turned right around and laid off a bunch of people to compensate for the higher wage costs. And that's okay. See, companies can do that. A company can make that decision. That's capitalism. If a company chooses to do that, to retain workers, to make workers happy or whatever it is. That's their choice. And they have a choice at that point. They can either lay off some workers, they can automate some of their activities, they can raise their prices and what they sell, but the problem is if I'm, let's just say for instance I'm Walmart and Brent is Costco. We kind of compete in the same space. Actually, that's not even a good example. I'm Walmart and Brent is Target. That's better, right? Because this is now kind of head-to-head competition. So I raise my minimum wages, by the way, Target did too. But let's say in this case, I raise my minimum wages, but Brent doesn't. He's a cruel, cold-hearted son of a gun. I am heartless. He is heartless. So he doesn't raise his wages, but I do. So I have a choice. I can raise the cost of my products across my store. But now shoppers come in, they go, hmm, things are more expensive at Walmart than they are at Target. So where am I going to go shop? I'll go shop to Target because basically wherever I can find a Walmart, Target's close by. (laughs) <laughs> they tend to like, like line up right with each other. So i go shop at Target rather than Walmart because costs are cheaper. So as Walmart, I have a choice. I can, either, I can either raise my prices or I can cut labor and automate other areas but keep my prices the same so I can compete on a price basis with Target, which is what they do. So the point about all this is, is that, you know, it's, an, it's a great idea when we talk about raising wages. But here's the problem with raising wages. We raise wages, the people that we hurt the most are the people we're trying to help, right? We're trying to help the poor, right? That's the whole point of this. We want to get these people out of poverty and into society and, and being more productive, right? But the, the things we're doing is having the exact opposite effect, it actually makes them poor. It displaces them out of labor. Because, I, because the jobs that I can automate the easiest are the jobs that low-wage-paying pay, workers have. Cashiers, clerks, waitress, waiters, servers, right? Those can be replaced. I can just get rid of my waiters, and now I just go to a self-serve-type buffet-style restaurant. Right. I replace a cashier with a kiosk. That's happening, folks. It's happening right now everywhere across the country. And the other problem is we're trying to help these people by giving them more in unemployment benefits. But now they don't want to go to work because they're making more sitting at home. Geraldo Rivera just had a tweet out yesterday. Went to a high end local mall on Sunday dinner at one of six restaurants, all half empty, accepting no new reservations. Reason. We cannot adequately staff or serve the public with reduced workforce. Nobody's showing up to work. Where are they? On extended unemployment. Problem is, is what happens when extended unemployment runs out, the job they were hoping to get may not be there. Somebody else has taken it or it's been automated away. So the idea of helping people is always just right as christians we should always be willing to help others that is our very basic foundation of a <laughs> judo christian society that's where we that's where we base from right we always want to help others but the, the the important part of trying to help others is also to do it in a way that makes them long term successful teach a man to fish and he'll be He'll feed himself for a lifetime. That's the very basic essence of our philosophy as a country. And we've shifted that dynamic now to where we're just going to give them fish rather than teaching them fish, which makes them less productive. If we truly want to help the poor, look, in any society, you're always going to have a group of poor people. They don't want to work. They have an inability to work. It's just a function of society and statistics, and there's no way you're ever going to fix No matter what you do, you will never solve the problem of the poor. It, is all, it has been a function of society for a billion years. There were rich cavemen and there were poor cavemen. <laughs> it just is a function of society. But the only way you truly help the poor is to help those that want to lift themselves out of that situation by giving them opportunity to become productive training education those things that actually helps the poor much more than just giving them money quick break be right back after the break
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Didn't get enough last Lunch & Learn? We're serving up a second helping at our next free virtual Lunch & Learn with Medicare on the menu. Thursday, May 6th at noon. We'll sink our teeth into the alphabet soup of Medicare, parts A, B, and D. Understanding sign-up periods, benefits, and how to avoid costly permanent late enrollment penalties. It's a second helping edition of our Lunch & Learn on Medicare, Thursday, May 6th. Register now at Real Investment. Advice.com. No masks required. The Real Investment Show. This is a public service announcement brought to you by The Real Investment Show in conjunction with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Things you won't hear Texans say. And that's why for years I've been saying Air Force One needs an escalator. Man,
1: I really had Beto keyed up for the White House.
0: Line dancing looks ridiculous. I know. Have you tried twerking? Have you tried twerking? Things you won't hear Texans say. We now return you to our regular program.
1: And welcome back to the show. Of, of course, it is the 4th of May. It's uh, officially Star Wars Day. That's why we're playing Star Wars music. If you haven't gathered that by now, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> a couple of interesting... You know, speaking of Star Wars, you know, there's, there's a thing about Hollywood that is always kind of interesting. Is that you'll notice that there's always a rash of movies that come out kind of in clusters, and you know we go through these these movie kind of movie themes from time to time, whether it's zombies or you know you know end of the world disaster movies, right? Asteroids impacting the planet. You know we had Deep Impact, we had uh, um, Armageddon with. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, and of course Bruce Willis, and you know, uh, 2012 was a disaster movie where you know the world froze over, and you know, just all these disaster movies, right? And then we had a whole a whole series of movies, particularly with the the Marvel Avenger movies, where we had to destroy half the population because of overpop- overpopulation problems, right? All goes back to this this idea that ultimately we have to save the planet because we're destroying it, and climate change is coming to get us, and. You know, those type of things. Um, But this has kind of been this theme of Hollywood movies. And NASA has done a week-long study of what would happen with a giant asteroid hitting the planet.
0: Is this a spoiler alert?
1: No, it's not a spoiler alert. (laughs) It's just what NASA figured out is, Bruce Willis ain't going to save us. (laughs) That's what they figured out. They, they figured out they can't stop it. Um, so if a giant asteroid is heading towards the planet, pretty much we're going to be done for at that point. Now, fortunately, it's going to wipe out most of Europe and Africa, right? Now, so it, the, apparently, according to NASA, that's the most likely place it's going to impact. I don't know how they came up with that, but that's where they said it's going to take the brunt of it. You know, the, the entire planet will obviously die because you'll get a cloud of dust that eventually kills all the, you know, Plant life and everybody eventually dies, and it'll take two or three years before everybody, you know, the the planet becomes habitable again. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, they said that basically, yeah, there's no stopping this. So if if we do, they're working on plans to try to deflect asteroids. So maybe that's where Bruce Willis comes in. I'm not I'm not quite sure, but <laughs> good luck with that. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there you go. So that's your good news for the day. Apparently, an asteroid is now on its way. We just don't know it yet. And this is the thing: if you watch, uh, if you watch Deep Impact uh, with uh, Tailioni uh, T- uh, T- 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 and um,
0: uh, that
1: guy. <sighs> He, not Samuel L. Jackson. I always get him. Morgan Freeman.
0: Oh, okay. Yep. Always,
1: I always get their names backwards. Uh, but Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is the president of the United States. And in this movie, right, this big asteroid's going to come. It's going to destroy the planet. Well, of course, they don't tell the population this, right? Because if you do, you immediately have anarchy, rioting in the streets, you know, murder, all this type of stuff. And so they, they can't they can't tell. Wait, what? We have I, what? I <laughs> know, right? I mean, you know, it's just you I know, can't imagine that I can't imagine can't imagine everybody just, you know, basically going into complete anarchy when they figure out the world's about to be destroyed. You know, people are so calm about these things. Um, But, yeah, in the movie, he talks about the fact that, that, you know, we can't tell the population, right? So, you know, this is, you know, you can't leak the news stories. You're never going to know this. But I think maybe, you know, maybe NASA's on to something. They're just trying to slowly kind of let you know (laughs) that this might be a problem. Sort
0: of warming up to the idea. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Might be a problem. Now, like I said, the good news is, though, because whenever there's a disaster movie, right? Yeah. It's always New York that gets wiped out. They've been wiped out by aliens and Independence Day. 2012 they got froze over and title waved, right so
0: it's i'd say it's
1: always new york
0: based on last year they deserve it <laughs>
1: <laughs> could be the case or california california gets their fair share too yeah, right yeah, yeah. so but generally it's new york generally getting attacked by aliens or monsters or, or something even the marvel avenger movies all wound up in new york right i mean so <laughs> You know, I don't know how a building is left standing in New York because they get destroyed constantly and rebuilt. Amazing, Uh, overnight buildings go right back up. Um, But yeah, so it's it's supply and demand. (laughs) They've got the most. They've got the most. But apparently, like I said, good news is going to. I guess if you're going to call it good news, it's really Europe that's going to get the the brunt of it. Anyway, just let you know what NASA's been up to as of late. Maybe that's why they're spending so much time flying their helicopter around Mars. Which is, just, which is very just, cool. Just and very cool. Yeah. It's very cool. Just thinking about it. <laughs> just saying. You know, because we didn't have flip phones until Star Trek came out back in the '60s, or microwaves. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Um, but I, 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 whatever happened to Tang? People realized it tastes <laughs> like crap. <It> was horrible. <laughs> That was all a commercial gimmick, by the way. Thank
0: goodness that went away. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that was a commercial gimmick. Drink Tang. It's full of vitamin C. Tastes like crap, but hey. (laughs) Twinkies will still be here after we get hit by an asteroid. That's the only thing that will survive. I talked about on the show about the issue with Bitcoin and that eventually, you know, the, the issue with cryptocurrency ultimately is that you can make the argument that it's an alternative currency and that it it has its place to replace fiat i'm not arguing that point at all what i've said here before on the show and i know you know you know kind of cryptocurrency lovers disagree with this fact but it's just a function of fact is that no no government will ever allow another currency to undermine the national currency of that country because it has huge national security as well as economic impacts the you know the us government depends upon the stability of the us dollar to maintain itself as the reserve currency of the world because if we lose reserve currency status in the in, in this economy it will be de- de- devastating to the viability of the economic prowess of the United States going forward. And we're doing everything we can to destroy that already. Don't get me wrong. Right. But the, the underlying fact is, is that from a national security issue and an economic issue, the U.S. government can't allow for another currency to exist that would undermine that power. Now, right now, Bitcoin is not that big of an issue for the U.S. government. It's not a threat at this point. But they do recognize that there is an issue there. Article out this morning talking about the fact that we already know that China has already launched a, a digital currency that they're experimenting with. Now the U.S., a, a on uh, Monday, the Nonprofit Organizational Digital Dollar, dollar Project said it will launch five pilot programs over the next 12 months to test the potential uses of a U.S. central bank digital currency. That's the first effort of its kind in the United States. Now, according to Reuters... The private sector pilots, which hope to recreate similar tests held in China last year, will initially be funded. And I'm reading this, by the way, uh, be funded by Accenture and involve financial firm, retailers and NGOs, among others. The aim is simple to generate data that could help U.S. policymakers develop a digital dollar. Now. The point about that is, is that this is that first step of encroachment. And. The, the process of this is very simple. If you go back to the Civil War, we used to have these things called greenbacks. And it was a currency. And after the Civil War, that currency was basically abolished because it couldn't compete with the national—they couldn't have a competitive national—a competitive currency to the national dollar. That's why also if you go and print dollars in your basement, it's called counterfeiting, and you wind up going to jail. Um Because the control of the supply of money is critical to the US economy and more importantly to national security. Right. If you could then think about it this way, if you could go into your basement and just print dollars, right? Then all of a sudden the foundation of the dollar loses its value and you know the, the the value of the dollar itself collapses and then you have economic issues, et cetera, right? That's why you can't counterfeit currency. That's why it's illegal. And it's also why on the back of a dollar it says legal tender, because it's the only authorized legal tender in the United States at this point. And cryptocurrency is just is, is not actually a legal tender. Right. It's a form of the dollar because you have to use dollars to buy it. All you've done is convert your dollar into a digital uh, to, to a digital asset. But right now, in most cases, if you want to spend that digital currency, you have to do what? convert it back into a dollar to go spend it so right now it's not accepted really as a legal tender and at this point say ebay or paypal or others that will accept bitcoin that's fine they'll accept your bitcoin but then they've got to convert it back to dollars in order to put it in the bank right so cryptocurrency is not really a legal tender like the dollar is, because you have to convert from dollars back and forth to purchase or to deposit, et cetera, so forth and so on. Again, and look, I own a, if I own stock in, in Microsoft, right? I've converted my dollar into equity into Microsoft. But in order for me to spend that equity in Microsoft, I have to convert it back to a dollar. Same thing with cryptocurrency. This move, this is a very interesting move by this pilot program because this is the first effort to really bring the dollar into a digital status. And if they do that, you can almost rest assured that it will start to lead to eventually a banning or a control of all other cryptocurrencies in the marketplace. It's an interesting article, just something about out Reuters today. Uh, but we we talked about before, but that's I think that's the biggest threat ultimately down the road. If there is going to be a digital dollar for cryptocurrency, that could be the one to pay attention to. Wrap up the show for the day. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll see you back here tomorrow, Wednesday with Danny Ratliff. Talk about financial planning and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest article is up. 50 laws on investing in your money and how to control it better all on the website now realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a